You are listening to Disc 4 on the Elementary Principles of the Messiah and Daniel's teaching on the Resurrection of the Dead, Part 3. Enjoy. Well, today we are actually on Part 3 of Resurrection of the Dead. And we're also going to talk about eternal judgment. Um, And so if you're new here today, we're sorry. You're kind of coming in at the end of this. You missed quite a bit. Um, but for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a, uh, several passages in the Bible pertaining to the righteous resurrecting from the dead. And we found that it's not done at intervals. And what do I mean? I mean, the time of your ascension into heaven is not determined by the time of your death, the date of your death. It's determined at the last day, universally. And last week, we got our first glimpse that not only do the righteous upon death rest in the earth but also the wicked the wicked are not instantly cast into the lake of fire as most would have supposed and we saw this first glimpse in Yeshua's teaching in John 5:28 and Yeshua says do not marvel at this the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The wicked are going to hear the voice of God. They're going to arise from the dead, and it will be the angels of God that are going to gather them together. Matthew 13, 40 says, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Okay? The end of the age. Verse 41 says, The Son of Man will ascend out Uh, Send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Okay? So, the end of the age, at the end of the age, the Most High is going to send out his angels. They're going to gather the elect. They're going to gather the wicked. And the wicked are going to be cast into hell, but not before that day, the day of judgment. Okay? And Job, we're going to go back to Job because he gives us a very clear picture as to what happens to the wicked when they die. Just as he gave us a very clear picture as what happens to the righteous when they die. This is what Job has to say about the wicked and their death. For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Okay, so here we see in Job that the wicked are reserved in the grave only to be brought out for the day of wrath. And this verse gives us a deeper understanding and how the end of the age is going to unfold. And it further confirms that Yeshua taught, Yeshua taught in John 5.29 where he spoke about the wicked arising to a resurrection of condemnation. And we now know that this will be at the last day, the day of his wrath. Yeshua says in John 12.48, he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word which I have spoken will judge him in the last day, but not before. So here we go again, though. Yeshua is talking about this last day. John chapter 6, he mentions four times. We see that no one gets judged until this day. The wicked upon death, they remain in the grave until then. Peter says this in 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations 
and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 2 Peter 3.7, again he says, But the heavens which are preserved by the same word, they are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. And perdition, that word perdition is actually destruction of ungodly men. So we see that even the fallen angels who are evicted from heaven are not in hell, burning. As we were probably taught at some point, but rather they too are reserved for judgment, which happens, this happens at the end of the age. Let's look at this in Jude. This is a great verse. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Again, he says in 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, the word hell in this verse is tartar o'o. It's a Greek word. It doesn't mean burning. It means deep abyss. It means place of darkness. And the text alludes to that. Now, I think it's important that you understand that the demons are well aware that the Lord has appointed for them a set time to be brought into judgment. They know the day of judgment is coming and they will be cast in the lake of fire. And this is why they work so very hard. The enemy works so very hard against what we are doing, uh, going out spreading the gospel of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. And he works so very hard against us because they know there's a short time left. Look at what Yeshua says. In Matthew 8:28, look at what happens. This is a powerful story. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, uh, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Yeshua, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So even the demons know that there's a specific time when they are going to suffer the wrath of God. And not only that, but we see that the demons have a clear understanding of eschatology, how the end times are going to unfold. And the demons were well aware that the time for them to be judged had not yet come. They're basically telling Yeshua, you're early. We come in here to destroy us before the time. It's scary when the enemy has more information than the church in regard to the end times. This is a scary thing. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now, I want to segue quickly into one of our last elementary principles that we're going to cover. And these elementary principles are found in Hebrews. I didn't put them up here. Sorry about that. But these elementary principles are found in Hebrews 6. And this is one of the last ones that we're going to cover, and it really goes along with the, uh, where the wicked are and how, the, how judgment is. Uh, it's called eternal judgment in Hebrews. This is an elementary principle. And I want to tell you something. There's something real popular right now known as global warming. And global warming, I'm here to tell you, is real. It's coming. But it's not because you don't recycle. It's, <laughs> it's coming 
because of the lawlessness and the filth that fills the world. That's what's coming. There's going to be a great fire kindled. Uh, the earth will be destroyed, and no one can stop it. It has to be prepared for the kingdom of heaven to be established here on earth. The only thing that's going to survive what is coming, this great fire, this hellfire, is that which is holy. I've got to grab my prop here. If you want a guide to greener living, here it is, right? This is your guide to greener living. You take the things that are in the Bible and you apply them to your life. Now, from most of us, you know, as growing up, we at some point would hear this word, hell. You know, depending on, you know, uh, how advanced you were as a child and if your parents taught you or if you went to Sunday school or Shabbat school. We all heard this word, hell. A place that even a child understands, oh, it's exclusively reserved for the wicked. This is a place that's exclusive for the wicked. And you're going to find this word hell, it's actually several times throughout the Bible. And I want to examine this word before we continue in this elementary principle of eternal judgment because it's going to be very beneficial for you. All right? I put this up here for you to look at. Hell. 31 times this word is found in the Old Testament. 23 times it is found in the New Testament. A total of 54 times. And what is interesting is the actual translation of the word hell from the Hebrew and the Greek to the English. By going back to the Hebrew and Greek, you're going to gain a much deeper understanding of the passage of Scripture you are reading where you find the word hell is present. Now, I'm going to put this up here for you. Hell, 31 times, every time it is in the, New the Old Testament, that we find this word hell in the Old Testament, is derived from Sheol. It doesn't mean hell as you would think. It means grave, world of the dead. Ten times, it is derived from the Greek word Hades, grave. And Hades is the Greek equivalent of Sheol. Okay? They mean the same thing. They both mean grave. One time we find Tartar-o-o. We already covered this. A place of darkness reserved for the fallen angels. Twelve times we find the word Gehenna. It means place of burning. The reality is that most people understand hell from the Greek definition of Gehenna. Okay? But confusion can arise when you don't realize where the English word hell has been derived from. Because just as we can see, over 50% of the time, or almost 50% of the time, it doesn't mean place of burning. It means grave. Now I want to focus on this Greek word Gehenna for a moment, uh, because it's a word that's ultimately derived, this word Gehenna is derived from a Hebrew word known as Gai Ben Hanam. Okay? And it means valley of the son of Hanam. I put a picture up here for you guys. This, is, this did not turn out real well, but here's your temple right here. And down here, oh no, no. Okay, there we go. And down here is the valley of Hinnom. Right here. Okay? And in Yeshua's day, this is right outside the gates of Jerusalem, by the way. This is the valley of Hinnom. And in Yeshua's day, this valley was on fire. 
This is where there was a perpetual fire raging in Yeshua's day. And what they were burning was the garbage. The garbage of the city was being burned. And it's not the only thing that was being burned. The executed criminals, their bodies were dumped there. And they were consumed. Yeshua used this very term, Gehenna, or Hanam. And I want you to see this example of Yeshua using this. It says, Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Pay attention here. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell, Gehenna, in the place of burning. Yeshua's audience that was with him knew exactly what he was saying in this verse. They understood that Gehenna meant a place where garbage is burned with great fire, a place of everlasting judgment. So when we come across the word hell in our Bibles, make sure you find where it's been derived from so that you understand the passage in its clearest form. Now this elementary principle, eternal judgment or hellfire, is a teaching that, in my opinion, has practically vanished into thin air. And I'm amazed it has because the Bible is inundated with passages on eternal judgment. It is inundated with passages on the wrath of God. It's crucial that you reinstitute this eternal judgment into your repertoire of evangelistic efforts. And it's not just for the recipients and who you go out to evangelize to. It's for your own benefit. It's for daily living, keeping you, uh, keep, keeping you on the straight and narrow, keeping you away from sinning, knowing what's going to happen, how at the end the wicked who carelessly sin are going to be destroyed, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This ought to keep us on the straight and narrow, amen? It is this elementary principle, when you evangelize, that is going to make men and women, they're going to tremble. When they hear this, they should tremble. In fact, if you have any salt in you, it is your responsibility, it is your obligation to tell people judgment is coming. This is an elementary principle. It is our responsibility. It's our duty. I want to show you what it looks like. The Bible has a very, very good example. Jonah 3.3. 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh is an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in its extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. It may be this very principle of eternal judgment that is going to compel one, if not many, to repent and to turn to the gospel of Yeshua. Now I want to add a caveat to this message. You have to be very careful when wielding this message, when you wield the milk of the word, the elementary principles. You need to be people who are of a clear, lucid, sober presentation. People of a sound mind. so They don't think you're drinking Kool-Aid. We know judgment is coming. They need to see the sincerity in your eyes. Amen? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Our message should only echo that which Yeshua had already preached. And what did Yeshua and his apostles preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And contrary to popular belief, godly fear is what we are to use to induce those to turn from their sins. Some people might consider this fear-mongering. I heard a, uh, just a brutal debate between a Messianic Jew and an Orthodox rabbi. And um, the, the, the Orthodox rabbi, make a long story short, uh, was condemning him for fear-mongering because he was inducing them that if you do not confess Yeshua as the Messiah, you will die. And it is the truth, and he was doing his job. So praise the Lord for that. Unfortunately, just as other, any other major topic that we find in the Word, we see that various theologies on eternal judgment, they pop up. Whether it be someone that literally believes that there is no hell. Okay? There's no real hell. Others believe that there is a hell. The wicked do go there. But they are immortal. They never die. They never are consumed but they're rather just tortured eternally. They're immortal. And still others, and in the camp that I'm in, and the Bible's very clear on, that the wicked do go there, they will be consumed, they will be destroyed, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm going to look at several Bible verses for you uh, to determine what is actually the outcome of the wicked, uh, rather than understanding that the wicked have immortality, which the Bible does not state. It's just the opposite. They're corruptible. We who are corruptible in the flesh put on what? Incorruptibility. We who are mortal put on immortality. It is through the name of Yeshua that we do this. Let's go to Isaiah 13, 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. That's brutal. What a way to start out a passage. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all the hands will be made limp. Every man's heart will melt they will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as women in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. This is a scary passage. Now, I kind of cut off uh, before I finish the rest of the passage. I want to show you a passage in Revelation because it mirror, it's a mirror image of this. And I want you to see that John the Revelator, he's saying exactly what we saw Years before, in the prophet Isaiah's, uh, the Lord speaking through Isaiah. Revelation 16, 15, 6, 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, mighty men, every slave, every free man. Basically, everyone, everyone, no one is excluded, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For, great, for the great day, this is what we've been talking about, this day, the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? I want to go back to the passage in Isaiah where I stopped. And this is what said, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it. Eternal judgment is coming. It's close Look at the signs. You'd have to be living in a cave to not see what's going on in the world today. We must put these verses, I want these verses to be in your heart, preventing us from sinning against God. And it's also going to give you the ability to share with others the truth of the gospel, the milk of the word, just as the apostles in Yeshua shared with all those around them. The destruction of the wicked is coming, and it's recorded. 
in the scripture for our benefit. Amen? To, that we may flee from sin. Now there's a prophecy in Isaiah that I want to look at. And it's a prophecy regarding the daughters of Babylon. Which is, a, which is symbolism for the sons of the wicked one. Sons and daughters of the wicked one. Okay? This is to the daughters of Babylon. Listen to this. Isaiah 47, 12, it says, Stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be made able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the, uh, you are wearied in the multitude of your counsels, uh, counselors and let, them now, let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble. That word stubble is the Hebrew word kosh. It doesn't really mean stubble as we would think in the English. You know what it means? It means dry straw. They will be as dry straw. The daughters of Babylon are going to be like dry straw. Listen to what it says next. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves. The wicked are going to burn like dry straw. Look at what Psalm 37. The Psalms are very prophetic. Uh, several prophecies on the Messiah in there. But the wicked shall perish. Perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. Well, I put this picture up here just to give you an idea. And this by no means does the day that's coming any justice. Because it's going to be much worse than this. But I, I want you to consider, we're told the wicked completely vanish into smoke. Well, what produces smoke? Fire and the substance that it consumes. That's what produces smoke. The wicked are going to be cast into hell, into this lake of fire, and they are going to vanish into smoke. They are going to be completely destroyed. They are not immortal. Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints, they are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself out like a native green tree. Yet he passed away and behold, was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace, is shalom. But the transgressors, the lawless ones, shall be destroyed. Together, the future of the wicked shall be cut off. I want to just piggyback this. In Malachi 4.1, he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a hot oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble, dry straw. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Did you catch that? You go to the Hebrew, this is a very good translation. It will leave them neither root or branch. Have you ever seen a forest fire that rages? It's brutal. You can't even get near it. It's hot. I mean, it's so hot. It's, it's ridiculous. I've actually seen one. Um, and it, you have to stand so far off because the heat is so hot. But have you seen what happens after the fire has consumed? The aftermath. It looks like this. It just lays the land desolate. And here's, here's, here's the aftermath of a great fire. The problem is, as Malachi says, there will leave them neither root nor branch. When you see a 
great fire, no matter how great it is, you can go in after in the forest fire, you will see evidence of roots, of trees. I could tell you a tree was here before that fire happened. Why? I'm looking at it. That's evidence. There will be no evidence of the wicked. You need to understand that. Malachi is very clear. There is no evidence. The wicked are not going to live forever. They are not immortal. Only that which puts on immortality becomes immortal and can go through this fiery judgment, this great fire that is going to be kindled. But the wicked, they will cease to exist, and what they will be is ashes under our feet. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 145, 20 says, oh, let me go back to this, I'm sorry guys. Malachi 4, 2, let's, let's, let's start here. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall grow Go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord. So now let's jump ahead to Psalm 145. Then the Lord says, The Lord, uh, the Lord preserves all who love him. And what is, what, how do we know we love him? Now by this we know that we know him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right? John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I was also quoting 1 John. Um, but all the wicked, he will destroy. And that's the Hebrew word shamad. And it literally means brought to naught. Destroyed. The Lord's going to completely make an end of those who are wicked, but he will preserve the righteous. And the righteous will not be harmed by this great fire that is to come. And we're given a great example, again, in Scripture, of how this is going to look like, you guys. A very prophetic story. It's not just a story. This story is fraught with prophecies of the end days. And it's a story that's about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're better known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've all heard the story, right? The story goes that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up, so when Nebuchadnezzar catches wind that they refuse to bow down and worship the beast, the animal that's been set up, he heats the furnace seven times hotter. He commands his men to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Listen to what happens. Daniel 3.21 Then these men were bound in, in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their uh, other garments. Let's see, all their garments are on. They went, come as you are. And we were cast, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was harsh, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men died. It was so hot that these men died. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors. Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and the form is, of the fourth is like the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar calls for them to come out, okay, the story goes, as he calls for them to come out, all of Nebuchadnezzar's men, they witness something amazing. They did not smell like smoke. Not a hair on their head was singed. That was amazing, right? Is this not an insight into what's going to happen at the end of the age? These men were holy. 
Yeshua himself testified that they were holy by coming to their rescue. And so it will be for us at the end of the age. These were Yeshua's holy ones, and the great fire that is going to be kindled will have no power over us. We will get through that, amen? Though heaven and earth are going to burn, the elect will be spared. Now, something about fire, fire possesses a unique ability. And that is ability is something that Darren talked about today, which coincides with what we're talking about here. It has the unique ability to draw out impurities. Fire has this unique to draw out impurities, like refining gold. You refine gold, you heat it so hot, it draws out all the impurities, and what you're left with is pure gold. Same thing with silver. Fire has an awesome property to it. Now, 2 Peter 2.6 says this, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Do you see what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? The Lord purified Sodom and Gomorrah real quick on one day. All these stories are prophetic in the Tanakh. All these stories have relevance for today, I promise you. And this story is in Scripture, for example, to go out and tell people about eternal judgment and say, hey, I got a story for you. Uh, here we have an example of Nineveh, and here we have an example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Which outcome would you prefer? Because what's going to happen is it's going to happen in one day. There's going to be fire and brimstone rain down, and he is going to purify. 2 Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, that is the word of the Lord, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition, which is destruction, it's a polia, destruction of ungodly men. So everything that is not of God is going to come to an end in one day, on judgment day. The earth will be refined, its impurities will be drawn out by the fire of God. And notice that no one is judged until this time. Therefore, we conclude that no one could possibly be in Gehenna right now, burning immortally. All right? Matthew 10, 28. We're going to read this again. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. They are going to be destroyed, both soul and body. Revelation 21.8 says, But the uh, cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It doesn't say second immortality. Does it? This is the second death. It's concluded to be there is another death that you don't want to partake of. You don't want to be part of this second death. Now, I want to look at the end result of our adversary, and really his children as well. Um, there are two passages in Scripture, and they go hand in hand, and they give us a great perspective on the end times and the end result. Now, I want to look at this. Actually, we'll look at one for time's sake. Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen. This is a prophecy on the evil one. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you 
to ashes under upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you, and you have become a whore and shall be no more forever. This is the outcome of the wicked. This is the outcome of the adversary. In fact, Paul alludes to this in Romans. He said, very soon, our God is going to crush Satan under your feet. And this is parallel to this. Do you guys see this? And we're going to close with this verse. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Shabbat shalom.